Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? You know, last time we talked about celebration and we talked about how we needed to separate them. So I think this time we should talk about failure. It'll be a real uplifting episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. All right, folks. Wow. But you know, the, re- the, the reality is having conversations about things didn't wor- that didn't work out as you wanted them to. And I hate the word failure, by the way, um, re- because it's really, uh, who is it? Um, uh, uh, was it Bell or no, Edison, who said, it's not, I didn't fail a thousand times. I, th- I learned a thousand times how not to build a light bulb, right? They're really just yeah. positive lessons if we look at them that way. And we need to look at them that way for a lot of thousands of different reasons. So let's not talk about failure. Let's talk about how we learn lessons from things that didn't work out the way we wanted them to. I love it. And I like that that, that mindset. And, and it's one of those things that it's going to happen. If we expect things to always go the way we want, we are going to be disappointed much of the time. <laughs> And so by by shifting the mindset and saying, this isn't failure, we just learned another way that doesn't work and creating a learning opportunity, it becomes a win in the end. Yeah, it's funny. You know, one of the reasons I think veterans make such great workers is we understand at a very um, visceral level that plans never work. You know, I, I I used to say, you know, plan is simply something to deviate from. Eisenhower once quipped uh, in, in combat, I have found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. We could go on and on and on with, with various quotes like that. So we're not talking, we're talking about how do you make the planning indispensable, even when the plans don't work? That's well, exactly Right. And I think so many people, when things don't go the way they want, they don't want to look directly at it. They want to run ahead and just keep moving and not, you know, not deal with it. But if we don't deal with it and we don't talk about it, it becomes, a, it does become a failure because we don't get to learn from it. Yeah, it's funny. And this is uh, obliquely related, but it is related. I actually just wrote uh, uh, in my last newsletter and a blog article on this where I talking about getting ready for Thanksgiving and I said, you know, the historically, we think of Thanksgiving, we say, you know, we scatter around the table and say, all right, you know, what are we thankful for, right? And we look for positive things to be thankful for. And we absolutely need to do that. But I also, in, in the newsletter, I said, oh, let's look for the things that we might otherwise perceive as negative and go, okay, how do we be thankful? Let's learn to be thankful for those. And that's really mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Let's look at our... um Again, I don't want to use the word failures, but things that didn't work out as we wanted them to and go, wow, this was a fantastic opportunity to improve. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you do that? How do you inculcate that mindset? I think it's doing exactly what you just said. It's it's looking at those things that, you know, some call them regrets. Some call, again, things that didn't go as we planned, things that go didn't go as we wanted them to go. 
and and genuinely ask where's the good there and and a perfect example i was in an abusive marriage for a little while and anytime somebody asks me what regrets do you have that's the first thing that pops into my mind and then i think you know what if I hadn't been in that situation, I wouldn't be probably wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't know as much about emotional intelligence and, you know, dealing with other personality styles and all that. There's so much I wouldn't know and so much strength I wouldn't have had I not gone through that experience. And so I think it's exactly that. It's stopping and saying, "Okay, yeah, that sucked." And there are things I can learn and take away and there are some positives from that. What are they? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you brought up marriages. So I also, and I think I mentioned before, I had a practice wife. And well, <laughs> that wasn't a abusive relationship from, you know, it wasn't physically or even emotionally abusive. Uh, and a lovely woman, and she was suffering from clinical depression. And I was really young and foolish and didn't really understand what that meant. And she was upfront with me, you know, folks, I'm not, she, this was not something that was hidden right? I'm not putting anything on her. I'm going to be real clear about this at all. This was me being a knucklehead. I think I was 28, 29 when I met her and going like, I see all the positive stuff. And I, I was woefully blind and ignorant about the things that were uh, less than positive. Mm -hmm. Were it not for that experience, I couldn't have grown to who I am today. And I think I'm fairly clear headed and I can see things, you know, and it doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. I do but I learned a ton about that. And, you know, now I've been married for 20, what is uh, five years? It'll be 26 years in May. Right. And to somebody else, right. That's why she was the practice wife. <laughs> and, and we have a great relationship. Again, part of that too is because I've learned every time I ran headlong into something that wasn't, that I didn't do right. I, I was able to learn from it and still learning to this mm -hmm. day because we never stopped. Right. So what does this have to do with persuasion? Well, you know, that's a great question. I usually ask you that. I like the way you turned it I know, I me. know. I was like, this is my chance. <laughs> well, here's the thing, folks. And it, it, there's a few different places it fits in. First of all, if we fail to learn from our mistakes, okay, or our shortcomings or our not successes or failures or whatever we want to call it, if we fail to learn, we're going to keep repeating that. And when people see you repeating the same mistake over and over again, their trust in you diminishes tremendously. At the same time, when they see you own your mistakes and learn from them, your trust goes up incredibly. And then when you ask somebody to do something, even if it's something you're like, I think this is going to work out, they're going to go, look, this person has a track record of always doing better, always improving. I'm willing to, I'm willing to roll the dice with them. It's that simple. And if we're talking about accountability, which is necessary for productivity, which is necessary for persuasion, acknowledging things that don't go the way we hoped and learning from them, whether it's as an individual ourselves or as a team or holding other people accountable, it's exactly that. And that's how we build that continued open communication and trust and respect. Yeah. And from a broader leadership and or sales perspective, by the way, either one, because again, we've said this a million times, they're really the same side of the same coin. They're not even two different sides. They're, they're the same side of the same coin. Um, from a leadership perspective, when you own your mistakes and learn from them, you are modeling for your team the same behavior, which then allows them to grow 
and improve, which makes your life easier overall. And mm-hmm. your team, yeah. your, your team just elevates themselves. Well, exactly. When, when there's a, what I like to call an environment of safe failure, it's that up that place where it's okay when things don't go right. Okay. If they don't go right the same way, 14 times, we got a problem, but if things don't go the way we hoped, we don't hit our goal. We don't, you know, things don't turn out the way we had planned having the opportunity to learn from it and it not being a giant end of the world kind of thing does a lot of things. It motivates people to innovate. It motivates people to try new things and take those risks that really could work out in a really positive way. It also opens the door for people to talk about things that don't go well so they don't hide them from you. Part of leadership persuasion is persuading people to be honest and accountable. And if we create this dramatic, terrible thing when anything doesn't go the way we hoped it would... People are not going to step forward when they first notice things go wrong. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, you, you, you've you nailed that. And you alluded to something that I want to give our listeners a little um, tip on, right? When things continue to go wrong in the same vein over and over again, you're asking yourself the wrong question, right? Because what typically happens is something goes wrong where you say, okay, why did this go wrong? Okay. And maybe we're saying, you know, what did we do structurally or what did we do, you know, but the, but the second or third time, okay, you've adjusted the structural issues. There's something else. Ask a different question. You know, is it the right person? Do they have the right mindset? Do they have the right training? What's their inside story? What's going on in their head when they think about doing this activity? There's a million things that could be going on. And if you don't ask a different question, you're not going to get a different answer and you're not going to be able to resolve the issue. Exactly. The same thing is going to happen again and again. And you see that happening in so many companies. You know, I walk in to communication workshops a lot and teams will say, oh, this happens all the time. And it's like, well, why are, why are we talking about this? You know, and people say, oh, no, no, we can't talk about it. That's on, you know, they'll blow up or they'll get mad or, you know, I might get fired. And if your people think that, Holy cow, you're half got one foot on a banana peel and one foot on the grave. You yeah, know, we right. need our teams to have that open communication. Yeah, I I had a conversation with somebody with a I won't say the organization, very large organization, very old organization, been around since colonial days, and um an organization with a very bad reputation for efficiency. Okay. And they were complaining about procedures not being done right. And they're looking at how do we change sort of the procedures? And I'm like, I don't think we're asking the right question. Right. And the right question in my mind was why are, what's the motivation for people? What's going on? And as it turned out, as we dug into that, is that management was being incentivized by something that forced them to do the procedure wrong because it was in the personal best interest of management financially to keep doing it wrong. Oh, well, and that's, and that's really important. So what are some of the other ways you can look when things aren't going well, the same way over and over, what are some of the categories you might look at? First of all, you brought up motivation. 
Yeah, absolutely. How are people being incentivized? What's right? People will do what's in their own personal best interest. And, and of course, our as business leaders, our goal is to align personal interest and organizational or business interest. And and we could we can somehow um, create uh, unintended negative consequences with motivational uh, financial motivations. Uh, when the moving company got sold, the new owner, I remember talking to him about uh, comp plan for me at the time. And I, I wanted to get comped on because I was GM president. I'm like, I think it makes sense for me to, to get bonused on net profit since ultimately that's what I'm being paid to produce is net profits. That's as a, that level, that's, that's, that's your product, net profit. Right. Um, and he, and he told me some story about a company he worked for where the, the regional managers were, were incentive on net profit. And so he went to, it was a moving company as well. And he went to one place to see what was going on. And there was a tractor sitting there without major repair that needed to the engine. And he's like, asked the guy, how come you didn't get that repaired? And the guy's like, well, because it's going to come out of my bonus because it'll, it costs so much that every quarter. And, I, and, I, and, you know, I thought to myself, well, God, that's short-sighted because, yeah, you lose your bonus for one quarter, but now you have this other vehicle in production for 20 years, you know. So, but my point here is that, right, so be careful about how you um, uh, pay people, bonus people. So that's one area to look yeah. at. Yeah. And when you're thinking about incentives, don't only think about the intentional ones. Think about the unintentional ones. Um, and and yeah, and like you said, how it relates to your culture. I think another piece is leadership is that communication style. How are people being communicated to? What are the messages that they're getting from above them, from their direct supervisors or even executive or board level um, communication? Yeah, perfect. And the other thing, and I alluded to this also before, is what's their story? And by their story, I mean, what's their self-told story? And, you know, I, years ago, um, I remember upgrading our software at a telecom business. I was a VP of operations for, we were, were different way of, of um, scheduling. And I didn't, and to your point, I didn't communicate clearly to the customer service reps, what my expectation was in terms of per, quote perfection. You know, I wasn't expecting perfection when we made the switch. I knew there was going to be a learning curve in my mind. I'm like, but at, we hit the point where it's like, okay, we, we got to do it now. We've, we've trained all we can train until we go live. We're not going to know where the shortcomings go. Instead of communicating that to them, I just said, all right, we're going to go live. And I had a woman do a intercompany inter transfer to another department. I found out several months later from talking to her, it was because she thought I expected her to be perfect from day one. And I didn't, right? So her story was that she needed to be perfect. My failure in communication was telling her she didn't need to be perfect, right? So there are two different things going on that both contributed to to this failure. So what what's their head? What are they thinking? Even if you're communicating clearly your intention, does that mean they're hearing it? Does that mean in their story they think they could do it? Right? What is their story? Well, and that goes to assumptions. What are their assumptions? But also, what assumptions am I making? Maybe about what people know or what ex expectations they think that we have versus the ones I have. Um, also, looking at those knowledge gaps. You know, so often we know so much about a topic or a procedure and we assume everybody else has the same knowledge we do when oftentimes that doesn't exist, which creates this um, 
uh, uh, issues and, and failures essentially in the process because everybody doesn't have the same level of knowledge that you do. So those assumptions of knowledge and skill set and all that stuff. So what do you do uh, or have you done in the past uh, or recommend to your clients today to create a process to do this evaluation? You know, I'm a huge proponent of ongoing communication and, and, you know, I mean, depending on the type of business, obviously a manufacturing organization is going to be very different than a marketing organization and how they deal with this. But I think that, cre again, creating that feedback loop, creating that ongoing conversation around what went well, what didn't go well, having those regular after action reports and those debriefs opens the line of communication because it's not some big event when we're talking about this stuff. That's, I think, the number one way to do it, um, no matter what type of organization you have. I completely agree with that. And I want to add another tool that I uh, developed uh, at the moving company that I found to be amazingly invaluable, more so than I anticipated when, when we started doing it. I called it a, a quality board or cue board, we called it for short. And no matter what business you're in, right, create a conditions under which you want to execute this. And this was a more formalized uh, assessment. And I modeled it off a, a safety boards that the military, the Navy did anytime there was a mishap, right, a board would convene to find out what the cause of the mishap was. And the idea was, and, and the rules are, Nothing that comes out of that board can be used in a criminal or or punitive, not just criminal, punitive proceeding, right? Because we needed candor, right? So it was all protected. Um, and the 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 JAGs, the lawyers, they would hold a parallel process that would look at culpability if if there was any, right? So this way we can learn as a community from a safety perspective. And so what I did in a moving company is we convened a board um, that would meet and then take the crew through every procedure from start to finish without them knowing why we didn't, we never told them here's what the complaint was, or here's what caused us to do this because we were looking for gaps in the procedures or gaps in the implementation. When there was a gap in implementation, then we're, okay, what was your mindset? What were you thinking about? What, why did you make this decision? And we do that every step of the way. And now we can make a determination whether it was a structural issue, i.e. our procedures were lacking or personnel issue or people weren't following the procedures. And if it was the latter, then we could go, okay, was it a lack of training or was there something else going on? And of course, you handle those two things differently as well. Absolutely. And I like that procedure. You said you, you, I think we've talked about this before, you utilize this at the moving company as well, where people were brought in and say, okay, what happened? When they don't know what the problem is, they don't need to cover anything up. We're looking for that candor. But when they have that trust that I'm not going to be punished for whatever we talk about here, they're much more likely to be invested in the improvement that we're trying to get versus invested in covering their butt. Yeah. And so we didn't have the protection. We didn't offer the same protection we did in the Navy with the safety board, right? In the Navy, they're, they're, that, that's, you know, lives are at stake. So if somebody didn't follow the procedure, they we didn't punish them outright just because they didn't follow the procedure. We want to understand why they didn't follow the procedure. And I, I've said the story before. One example was we had a, a mover, uh, the shipper, that's the customer, had... Uh, nine potted plants. They were tall, like four or five foot in, in big pots. 
pots are not designed to be transported with plants in them because that dirt is pushing out and then, you know, it's bumping in this truck and they break. You can't really protect them. And we typically would tell uh, clients, say, hey, you need to move your own plants. And most people have little plants, they put them in their car and it's fine. Our uh, lead mover, you know, they couldn't take in a car. He's like, okay, you know, we're about customer service. We have room in the truck. We'll take the, we'll make the exception. We'll take them in the truck. Broke some pots. We had to replace them, which of course we did. And we realized that, you know, we didn't punish him because he was trying to do right by the client. It was, you know, it wasn't and something. And the company. Since and the company. Customer service. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, we came out and we said, we created a relationship with a plant moving company. Somebody who specialized in that who could take the liability off of us. And so when that situation came up, we we trained our customer service reps who are taking the orders on the phone or our estimators throughout in the field. If you see, have this, ask these questions. If you see these plants, make a note and we'll we'll bring in the plant moving company and, and make that part of the estimate. You know, and, and so we improved our service as a result of that. On the other hand, I remember having uh, one other gentleman who would do things like you weren't supposed to. So these trucks are big, 26-foot box trucks. You don't want to pull them into a local 7-Eleven because they're really unwieldy in parking lots, right? We're like, look, guys, bring your snacks to work. Do not stop on your way to the shippers. You don't know what's going to delay you. Get there on time, right? We don't want to be late. People are stressed out enough. And this one, one lead mover kept breaking that rule. Right. So now it's another conversation. Right. Now it's all of a sudden it's like, okay, you've done this more than once. We've had conversations. You're not thinking clearly. And you might be better served working someplace else. Right. But it gave us the tool to make those evaluations. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think one other area that I think we should cover in this failure conversation is when it does go with our clients. Because every interaction we have with our customers, clients, members, whatever you call them, is persuading them to keep giving them, giving us your money. You know, I mean, it's to continue doing business with you and stuff is going to go wrong periodically. And so I think that having that procedure on how people deal with the client in those cases is super important too. Absolutely. And again, I'll, I'll go back to the moving company, although I, you know, I did this in the telecom business world as well. You know, in the telecom world, I had a money back, unconditional money back guarantee. You know, we put a new phone system in for you. You had 30 days. If you didn't like it, say the word, we'll pull it out and put your old stuff back in. And, you know, frankly, it motivated the heck out of us to make sure that they were taken care of. The moving company, somebody would call and say that move took too long. Well, how long should it have taken? Well, it should have. It, it took eight hours. It should have taken six. Okay, I'll refund you two hours. Done. That was our procedure. Done. No argument. No, 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 no. Now, I would then go and talk to the crew. And a lot of times, and not even always then, because sometimes you just knew there were some locations. We knew it was an eight-hour move, even if it was a one-bedroom apartment, because you had a 10-minute walk to the truck from the apartment, right? And But we're not going to argue with the client. Because if we argued with the client, we had an unhappy client. We would always compromise. So we had an unhappy client who got some money back. I'd rather have a happy client who got all the money they wanted back. You know, and and so, you know, we had procedures for that as well. 
You need a procedure for everything from how you turn the key in the morning to open the door to how you turn the key at the end of the day to close the door and everything that happens in between. And when you can do that, then you can really evaluate the things that don't work out. Well, maybe next time we'll talk about turning keys. Yeah, it will be a turnkey solution. Ooh. <laughs> like the way I did that? I saw that. We'll talk about that. Didn't go the way I wanted it to later. Did, did this conversation <laughs> go the way you wanted it to? <laughs> no? Yeah, I think it went well, Dave. I think we did good on this one. All right. Then we'll uh, wrap I didn't this get up. too silly. I didn't get off topic too much. So I think this is a win. Well, I don't know. I think a lot of our, from the feedback I get, a lot of our listeners are going like, oh man, Ann was boring today. She's usually the final <laughs> in this. So you're saying this was a failure. <laughs> I'm not, I don't believe in failures. I told you that in the beginning. It's a learning opportunity, Dave. I'm just saying that there are probably some people out there who are going, where is that nutty Ann I've come to love? <laughs> I get all serious when we talk about things not going the way we hoped. Yeah, it's kind of hard to make fun of that, isn't it? It is. It's true. I mean, it's it's something that we need to make lighter than we sometimes make it, but making light of it, it, it yeah, yeah, it's, you know. Yeah, that's a hard that. line to walk, right? Because you don't want to make light of it because you don't want people to take it lightly when you want people to be serious about doing things right and taking care of the customer. And at the same time, you don't want people being afraid of hiding and hiding their mistakes. You know, we, we've had movers who, you know, and I, I use the moving company a lot because a lot goes wrong in moving. Um, yeah. you know, we had people hide broken stuff behind furniture. It's like, come on, we, we briefed you. We know stuff's going to break. You, you don't help anybody when you, when you hide it, you don't help us. You don't help the customer. You don't help yourself. It's a lose, lose, lose. Right. So, and it's All figuring right. out how do we get beyond that? Yeah. A and, conversation and, for another day, Dave. Thank yeah, you for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> I think I think we're getting out of this really sloppily. This is like the worst <laughs> close. This this is a this is a worst like, close. We need to talk about this when we're done. I think this didn't go the way we had hoped. <laughs> All right. Bye now. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.